All right, hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Good Company with your hosts Leah Cotton and Stephanie Batstone. Leah and Stephanie are two successful entrepreneurs juggling both business and family, and this podcast is their quest to learn from other successful women through their stories and experiences. And uh, my name is Steve Warren, and I think we're talking about this a little bit off the air. I don't think we've established my title exactly yet, ladies. Have we figured that out exactly? Co-host, moderator, producer? I don't know. A token mail. We told you already, Steve. That's what <laughs> it right, is. Fine. That's fine. the title. Fair <laughs> <laughs> so whatever I am, I'm glad to be along for the ride. And uh, well, first of all, how are you both today? Doing great. Great. Yeah. Great. Excited for the conversation. Yeah, me too. Uh, and by the way, we, we invite everyone to listen to our first full episode. It was an introduction to the two of you. And I'm wondering about that. And and Leah, maybe we start with you on this. Like, what has everyone in your life thought of you hosting your own podcast? Oh, man. When that went up on the family WhatsApp, it just, it blew up, really. I mean, everyone's <laughs> very excited about it. Wondering where the time is coming from. I'm po- probably pulling it from them a little bit. So, uh, but no, lots of great positive feedback. How about you, Stephanie? I haven't really told many people about it yet. So <laughs> to be completely honest, and and I'm I'm just waiting for kind of the launch. And I, I don't even know how to launch it with my friends and family. I think they'll be so kind of surprised because I'm not, um, you know, I, I, I don't think they'd expect it from me. And so I'm really excited to to get their reactions at some point in, in the near future. I hear, I think that's next week or something. So yeah, it'll be good. Good stuff. Well, I mean, it sounds like you need some, uh, maybe some marketing help. And our guest today uh, has a background in that, uh, in her history. So maybe we can uh, get some, uh, some help from her on that front. But uh, yeah, we are looking forward to speaking with our first guest and uh, she is our first guest ever. A lot of pressure there, a lot of pressure there. (laughs) And then you remember it's only our second episode ever. Um, She is Christy Payne, the chief operating officer at H and K strategies, also known as Hill and Knowlton strategies. Christy oversees the operations of the firm, driving a culture of collaboration, delivering strategic counsel to clients. And also, as mentioned, she's got a wealth of marketing and communications experience, very well-traveled, tons of interesting social initiatives she's been involved with as well. And maybe a quick thought on Christy and your connection and how you guys know each other. Full disclosure, uh, Christy and I have known each other a long time. We've been We've been good friends now for... Oh gosh, it must be about twelve or thirteen years. Uh, we we met in a professional capacity uh, years ago, actually uh, working for Coca Cola. Um, we were public affairs managers on their Olympic torch relay, so we got to know each other real fast, traveling across uh, the country, uh, and we've been friends ever since. And I, I like to think of Christy as my friend tour, you know, a friend mentor uh, as we travel. Oh, I see what you did there. You like that? I think that's a real. It's going to be a real. Bro. Um, but we've traveled through a lot of life's phases together to be honest we met before we were married we met before we had children Um, our professional careers have grown kind of side by side and and I think we've learned a lot from each other and so when Stephanie and I started talking about good company and bringing successful women kind of together to talk about balancing work and life and what success looks like and, and what have you, uh, Christy, I mean, came to, came to mind uh, right away. I mean, not to mention I could kind of force her into it, but uh, <laughs> she is a natural fit for the show. So we're happy to have her here. So happy to be here. Thank you for that introduction, Leah. Yes, and welcome to the show. Uh, we've given the good listener a very official-sounding biography I did just a moment ago, and uh, maybe you could uh, fill us in a little more, Christy, about H&K and your role there. 
Uh, yeah, I, right now, um, again, chief operating officer. I actually started as the GM of the Toronto office. So I've had a few different roles, um, but really my focus is just on, you know, the culture and how we bring that to life and what that means while you're trying to drive a profitable, profitable business, engage talent. I think today more and more, you know, the people are the most important um, asset for any business. And I think in consulting, we're seeing that um, every day, it's, people are front and center. So I get to work on those cool initiatives with uh, HR, ops team, the CEO, all the consultants, so many wonderful people. So it's uh, it's a real privilege to, to to work for such a great company. I wonder what do you, I mean, what makes you happiest about the role and what would you say maybe is something you find challenging about the role? Um, so I think, you know, what has been great. And as I said, I, I've only been there two years and my career sort of writ large is not, has not been linear. So, you know, there's been lots of um, lefts and rights along the way. And also even when I landed at H&K. So I, I did not have consulting experience before going to one of the biggest communications consulting firms and leading their biggest office. So I think for me, landing in that place, um, I had to dig into all of my other learned experiences in times of change and, uh, you know, adapting and just actually seeing the people and understanding sort of the everything between the formal lines <laughs> to survive and to figure out what I wanted to contribute to the organization. So I think, um, you know, one of the, the best things is that I had a leader who saw that I wasn't a typical hire. I was, you know, I was the quote unquote sort of diverse hire because I was different than anyone else who had ever come in there and in that role. And so she really helped me find the piece that um, I think I'm best at by even switching me out of roles, even after a year in, you know, giving me a little bit more, a little bit different of a mandate. So I think that's one of, that's been one of the best pieces to have to work with people and in a place where they can tap into like the true skill set and see, okay, this, this piece of it really jives you and you've got a passion. I'm going to let you do that. So I think that's, that was the hardest and it's also been the best, right? Trying to navigate that, but then also being given that opportunity. Christy, I'm, I'm so happy to meet you. I, I, I've never met you before, but um, I know the names of your children. You know, I know so much about you from Leah. Um, so it's so great to finally get this chance to have a conversation. And I think I really relate with what you said about being new to the consulting space. So, I, you know, I talk about it a lot before starting NIRAD, I was never a consultant. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're going to grow a consulting business. Right. Um, and so I, I've always kind of found that to be the interesting part of, of what we do now, you know, uh, over and above the subject matter expertise, just learning those consulting skills along the way. But I was so interested in your background and understanding how have you done that as a leader of a consultancy? How have you been able to gain credibility with the people that you're leading, having them, you know, they, they've got more experience in this area than you do. What are some of the, some of the things that you've done to, to try to bridge that gap? Well, first, can I just say, I'm so happy to meet you because the, per <laughs> the person who gets to work with Leah, when I heard you guys were doing your own thing, there was some deep, um, envy and just like, who is this woman? <laughs> Cause Leah is one of my favorite people <laughs> on the planet. So I'm, I'm very happy to be here with you and I've heard so much about you as well. Um, so yeah, the credibility piece and just building that up, I think, um, I mean, at my core, I 
really just focus on the people. And I think one of the things that, um, which sounds a bit, maybe a bit cheesy, but I'm a really good listener and observer. And I, I never think that I know more than anyone. I think I'm always, um, you know, every person you meet sort of knows more about something than you do. And I like, I lived that and I really had to breathe that going into H and K. And I think it was a bit off brand to land in a place where, you know, consultants, you, you are supposed to have the answers. Um, consultants should know mm -hmm. everything. And so I think at first people didn't really um, maybe know how to take that because I wasn't pretending to know everything even when, I, and I was saying when I didn't, but I think that that also just made people feel safe and made people know that I was actually going to listen. And so, you know, I really just took, took, it was kind of a, this, I actually had a chart with sort of three circles of like, how am I going to decide to make some of these changes? You know, there was a restructure, there was, you know, new initiatives and I was being tasked with all these things without having that understanding or the history. Right. And a lot of what we do sometimes is like built on history and mine was in different places, but I think it was listening and, you know, asking people what they want and what they thought and really hearing. Um, it was, you know, then just observing. You actually just need to see things in action, right? You just need to see like, how do people work? Where do they feel safe? What's, what's working? Um, and then you take what you, your thoughts right off the bat, you know, I had my notes of here's what I think, and they kind of all come together and they, they find, they find a really nice balance. And so I think the trust and the credibility, I just, I just talked to people a lot and I made it clear that I was there to take their ideas and just give them some air. Take your authentic self right into the role, I guess, is what I hear you say, right? Yes. Just being honest about this is who I am and this is what I'm here to do. Yes. I'm anxious to poke at a couple of things in that, you know, you talk about being, you know, people first and, 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 uh, finding balance and I, I can't because I know you I know you perpetually throw yourself uh, into your your work and you give so much of yourself um, and and perhaps I would argue too much of yourself maybe I mean for discussion today perhaps, um, perhaps. <laughs> but but did you find it hard to do that you're switching roles I mean I know how hard you worked in your previous role before joining H&K when you were with Plan International and you were working so hard now you're throwing yourself into a new role how I mean how did you find balance for yourself how did you put yourself first did you put yourself first ever and do you find yourself still struggling with that from a balance perspective? I started the job six months before COVID and then that happened. And then you put, you know, having two little children, I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old and then um, trying to just figure out work and all of that. So I will say it's been very imperfect these past 18 months and um, it would, this is, but it has also been probably the biggest moment in my time where I've been more self-reflective and really had to recalibrate what success meant for me and what that looked like. Um, I was one of those people, uh, you know, I, yeah, I can do it all quote unquote. And I think I was raised and, you know, society has shaped all of us to mm -hmm. have sort of this, um, this sort of prescriptive idea of what success looks like and checking all those boxes. And I did that for a really long time, but something was always a little off. And I think I'm just tired, <laughs> got really tired. Yeah, no and so, you know, while COVID, you know, COVID has been 
um, a gift in some ways. And I say that, you know, being very aware of my privilege of not having, you know, had known many people who have been sick and not having lost my job. So this is totally coming from a place of privilege, but a gift in terms of really reevaluating what's important. And so mm-hmm. I think in the beginning, I hunkered down and thought I can do it all. I will do it all. It will be fine. If I forget to brush my teeth, that is fine. My team is there. I'm going to take this call because that person on the other end is more important than my oral hygiene, all of the things, right? <laughs> and then um, I did have a moment, you know, last spring where it was it was too much. And physically, I hit a wall for the first time, which um, in hindsight, it's kind of interesting that it took this long. But it was physically, I my body just stopped and I had to tap out. And I think I did tap out and that was the big learning to say, I actually need to step away. This is too much. And I need to um, have a moment of rest. And it was the first time that I put a real boundary down and I walked away for a couple of weeks and I just had to um, stop. And then I came back and I was like, okay, now this is on my terms. This is not the company's fault. This is not my kid's fault. This is not life. This is up to me to come back and see if I can continue to create the boundaries that I need. So I am a work in progress. It is not nailed, (laughs) but I feel like I'm in a better place because of just this boiling point that I think a new role, little kids and COVID has put in front of me. Do you think we do that as women more than men do? I do. I, I think as women, we tend to feel a need to jump into it. Um, at a different level that maybe some of our male counterparts would. Um, it almost comes from this place of, okay, we have this privilege to have this position that, you know, there's probably, you know, a percentage of the population who doesn't think we should have, or that we have because we're women and we're going to show them. And, and then we do overwork ourselves. Right. I, I mean, I, I see that now not saying that there aren't men that overwork themselves, but as women, I, I almost think like we're, we're, we're pushed into these places where the expectation is, you know, sink or swim and, and you've got to overcome so much. And so we end up there. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think we take a lot of sort of the invisible bits of life too on mentally. And I'm saying this, I mean, my husband is amazing and I, that's the only way our family got through COVID was just how he took on so much, but, um, you know, we're still maybe the ones programmed to think about like, okay, what activities are the kids in? Or like, are we going to get the family picture this year? Is there like a holiday right. card? Or like, I'm, you know, I really need to be in, in shape if I'm going to look like I've like got my together. Right. Uh, like, I think all those like external things. And I, at the core, one of the things that I think I've realized is, um, you know, caring way too much what about external factors and what other people think and that like all throughout. And I think, you know, as you get older, that starts to go away, but it's fascinating still how you can sort of lose your own perspective by just kind of getting distracted by external pieces. When at the end of the day, like who we are, what success is, our happiness is like, it's kind of our own definition. And so I do feel like you know, women maybe get caught up in that a little bit more. Do you think, Christy, there's a generational shift though? I say Christy, Stephanie, Steve, is there a generational shift in that? Because I think, you know, we talk about we've been shaped, you know, society has shaped us. Our mothers have shaped us. We've heard those, the words, you can have everything. You can have your cake and eat it too. Uh, You can be anything you want to be. And I mean, there's a bit of, 
can we, do we want that? Uh, you know, especially, I guess, at what cost? <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, not that it's necessarily different, uh, though we know it is for boys and girls. I mean, Stephanie and I have, have boys, Christy, you have two girls. Does, I mean, do you think about that differently now, the messaging that you, you know, convey to them when you think about their internal message track, do you say those things or do you think twice about saying them? I do think twice. And this is, I think the, the whole, yes. Yeah, so the generational piece, I mean, my mom, I got my type a, like do everything like my mom went, has done a lot. Um, but I was sort of conditioned to like taking a sick day at work as a weakness. It's a sign of weakness. And I think we're still of the sort of time where there were companies, you know, a while ago who would give people bonuses if they didn't take a sick day. Like, isn't that fascinating now to think in right. COVID like that? It will never yeah. happen again because yeah. the next yeah. person who comes into an office, like sniffling or with a cough, like that is just, that is ridiculous. And so I think, um, yes, generationally. And I think what's fascinating, and I was in this, um, actually this week, this course for this professor from Harvard, Frances Fry, I think is her name. And she was saying that, um, she's talking about strategy, business strategy, but I think this relates to life. It was like, in order to be great, you have to be bad. So she was framing it in like, when you have a strategy, you have to pick the areas where you're going to be great and let some things go. But she also did that overlay as it relates to um, mothers. And <laughs> just like, if you're going to be really, really great, you have to figure out what's going to let what's going to go. Um, because I do think there's a bit of a, a checklist there and a, and a standard. And so that, even though I only heard it this week, I think there's that, we've been seeing the themes out there mm -hmm. where it's like, it's just like, pick your battles, um, let some things go. And I will say one of the first town halls that I ran for the Toronto office, I showed a picture, at, this is first town halls in COVID. I went downstairs, I was going to get a drink before the town hall and my house, this is when the kids were home. There was like a two-year-old with her butt in the air, the five-year-old had a shirt off. There was so many toys on the, it was, it was a disaster that I took a picture. I came back and I uploaded it and that's what opened the town hall. I was like, this is my life. <laughs> that's relatable. Yeah. This is like, so I'm barely hanging on. How's everyone else doing? Cause I can't even walk to the like fridge. So I had decided the standard of my home was going to be bad. And I feel like little things like that helped get me through. But it's so important, I think, to have these conversations because I don't think I think women do it, do this, put the pressure on on other women. I think we do it to each other, to be honest. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, we continue. I even th I think as women to applaud overworking, not just as a, as a society, as a culture, but I think that we look at each other uh, in judgment. Oh, you can't. Oh, you're not. Oh, you're not working. Oh, really? Oh, you're not taking your kids to every soccer game. Oh, well. I've managed to do that. And it's, it's constantly this comparison game, even though we all know behind the scenes, our houses are a disaster or whatever it is that, that that's a bit of a mess. It's just impossible to keep it all together. But I feel like we put on these faces for one another. And I think it's probably about time to, to stop doing that. So there's that old expression, don't mistake my kindness for weakness. Mm. And uh, I think about the what what the proper demeanor of an executive and the expectations based on gender. And Christy, I can see and hear in our short time together that you are a very pleasant person right out of the gate. 
Um, do you ever feel like sometimes, I mean, yeah, I think about that time you stepped away, that time you needed away. What was the reaction of the people you worked with when, when that happened and, and what kind of demeanor is it? Is it, is it the same Christie that goes home every day and spends time with the family or does it change when you walk in the front office? Hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I think for me, you know, showing weakness when people show a bit of weakness or vulnerability has always been a really big sign of strength for me. And so, but I have to be careful there because that's, that's my sort of definition of strength and that's not everyone's. And I think that's caught me sometimes too, where you, you know, you're too vulnerable or you're demonstrating too much candor and, you know, you need to, you need to watch that. I think, so that's something that I've um, struggled with a little bit, but also have come to terms with, because I think I, um, I've, I've been told to, you know, I am an internalizer and sometimes I, I can feign that everything is like, everything's okay. And so I've, I've worked on that because I want to give people permission to, to go there with me. Um, I, I got the right reaction when this happened to me and I was so thankful and, um, to the organization, you know, to get that reaction and, you know, it was this pinnacle moment where it was happening around the world and you were kind of hearing about other people. And I think, you know, I think it's probably other people's moments of vulnerability or disclosure that they were burnt out that actually made me feel like I could do it. And not necessarily within my own company, but just people that, you know, I would follow on Twitter or LinkedIn or just books I was reading or friends I was talking to. So I actually sort of give a nod to other women who had put up their hand and sort of said like, this is too much before me. And it, it gave me the confidence and the courage to go there. And now I want to be that person for others and just say like, you know, it's not a, it's being, that's not a sign of weakness. I actually think it's the biggest sign of strength. Like I said, these boundaries are really, really hard. And I've always admired people who have had those back in the day. And I, you know, you reevaluate, um, you know, things that people say or experiences you have. And now you can look back and think like that person had it figured out. I might've thought that they didn't care as much about their job, but that was okay because they had other pieces and they had, they had defined their success in a way that worked for them. And wow, like good for them, you know? So I do think like society and the world is changing in that regard, but I, I think um, there's still a lot of work to make, make it okay for everyone. But I do give a nod to those <laughs> sort of, came before me and I'm laughing, but it's not like funny laughter. It's like, Oh my goodness. Thank mm -hmm. you. Because it could have been much worse. Just bouncing things back to your arrival in the position you're in right now, you had, uh, you'd spoken that it'd been uh, a different path to the role you're in, um, that there was a bit of a learning curve and you had a great strategy for it as you talked about earlier, but did you, was it universally embraced? Like, did your strategy work for all or did you find that some people kind of pushed back um, shortly after your arrival? Was there some people you had to win over over the first few months of your job? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, um, and a lot of that was, you know, you get it, you come in and you have such clarity when you're new. And so I think that's a really special thing. And I had a lot of people tell me, you know, write down what you see and what you hear in your thoughts, because it'll be so interesting to revisit that um, later on. And I actually just did that two weeks ago. I had done a one pager for the CEO on all, all of the things <laughs> that at the time she was probably like, 
I do not need all of your things. Like, can you just leave me alone? Because being a problem solver, you'd point out like, hey, we could do this and we can fix that. Um, and so, you know, with my personality, it was like, well, let's do this, let's move. But I will say that, you know, two years later, like all of those things, like they line up and we're doing it. And that's, that's the best part of like, I think for me and my learning is, you know, the patience and you need to bring people along and everybody kind of sees things differently. Right. Um, and I had someone great tell me, he was like, you know, you never get your way in one meeting it takes five weeks. So if you overlay that, like you never get your like strategy done in three months, it takes like two years and not to say what we're doing now is all of mine, but I think a lot of those insights, it was kind of perfect timing for me, for a different person to come into this organization and have a different overlay, particularly with the background I had in human rights and, you know, gender and just a little bit in the diversity lens. I think it's actually good timing for the organization. And so, um, it's working out, but no, it was hard in the beginning and pushing for things. I think that actually, um, you know, made it, made things a little more exhausting. One of the the things about your background that I found so interesting compared to the position you have today is all of those, um, the, you know, you seem to have been on a path where every job you had and grew into had that social view about inclusivity, you know, and, and, uh, diversity, um, and so many of them actually. And, and it, it, you know, it, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're in a PR firm, which, you know, if you, if you watch anything on Netflix is it looks very different. Um, but even there you're taking those values with you. Right. And so how, I guess, you know, I, I just was left with, you know, when did you know that was your path? Like, was that actually intentional at the outset of your career or is this a path you found along the way and, and it aligned with your values? And so you, you went there. I love this question. Cause I feel like this is the conversation I need to have with my daughters. And I had no clue what I wanted to be when I grow up and I still don't know what I want to do. I think, um, but there's these little moments in experience. And, you know, I will say one of them was my family. When I was 13, we moved to Switzerland because my stepfather was a hockey coach. And so we packed up the family and went there, moved to Ticino, plunked in school. It's all in Italian, didn't understand one word. And that was my first sort of foray into like the world and languages and like adapting. And I came out of that thinking, um, I want to I want to see the world and I love languages. And so then from there, it was international business degree and marketing. And, um, but no, I, I did not have, I think it was always there. I think when I worked in education with the Alberta government, I was like, okay, I can promote and market and communicate things that matter. So that was education check. But then I would do random things like like, I really miss, I miss my own learning. And I had a friend who had just finished her MBA at Queens and that sounds like a great program. I'm going to take out a line of credit on my condo and pay $60,000 to go get another degree because I like to learn. <laughs> and so, but I think it all, there's, I think there's moments at every sort of experience that directed me. And I think where I landed in that MBA was when the, the beginning of CSR, we were starting to talk about the, what is corporate social responsibility? How does that link to profit? And it was sort of new discussions on that. So that was um, the beginning. And then the first job after that was at Coca-Cola where I met Leah, and, but I was focused primarily on the environmental portfolio. And so that helped steer, but 
And so from there, I just, I did seek it out. Um, and then particularly with Plan International. And this move was different for me. And the reason why I felt like I wanted to do it is because I had been in government. I had been, you know, CPG. I had been small business. I had done all these things. I'd never been on the consulting side. So that was a leap. And one of the through fair themes and all the roles I've had is I really like managing people in teams. And at plan, it was like two people on this team. And when I left, it was 50. I liked growing teams and growing people. And to go into the GM role was you are going to manage an office. So those two things checked the box for me. And it was a bit of, a bit of leap of faith. Like I wasn't even looking. And so I've taken things you know, I see some of the young people today where they are very prescriptive in terms of like, right. this is my next step and I will get this job and I will do mm-hmm. that. And I, I'm in awe of people who can figure that out and know that path. But I do sort of caution and say, and just stay open to those things that are going to pop for you um, that you may not see or know and just go for it. Um, so that's how I landed. <laughs> And then Christy, would you say that you're definitely, I mean, we've talked about defining success in different ways and that you've defined success differently over your career. I mean, where do you sit today? You know, what does success, you're, you're sitting in the COO position kind of around that brass ring, if you will, or what, what have you, but I mean, have you achieved success in your opinion and, 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 and how has that changed? I suppose over the, over your professional career. So right now, I would say success in the way that I see it now, not quite. And I'm saying that again, like, okay, who are you? You're, <laughs> you know, I think on paper, yes. Mm-hmm. I think I had a moment this last year, frankly, where when I got this last title and, you know, with all due respect to my boss, if she ever listened to this, I actually didn't care Like, it wasn't like I had a different feeling where I was like, okay, but this means I get to pivot and do that values initiative for the organization where we're going to like define what we stand for. And I'm going to figure out how that like is embedded in the, so that's what excited me. And I was like, I remember being a little bit, people were commenting on, you know, you've got this great title, good role. And for the first time that didn't feel as special. And I was actually okay with that. And I liked that I was thinking about it a bit differently. Um, I think success for me is really, I define it now as freedom to do what you love. You know, you have the, the flexibility to take care of yourself, take care of your family and just focus on the work that you love. So I'm moving in that direction, but I don't think I'm, I'm actually there in the way that I define success now. Now, you mentioned Plan International, Christy, and this is probably going to sound like the token male question, but while <laughs> you were there, <laughs> Do it. while you were there, you, uh, you had, uh, you were a part of the, uh, or, or headed up the Because I Am a Girl initiative. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that initiative and, uh, and what that experience was like? Yeah, I think what was great, um, right before I got to Plan, the initiative had started and a big push was to get um, an international day of the girl declared by the UN to recognize that girls are doubly discriminated, both gender and age. Um, and so I got to come in and build up a team and work with so many amazing people. And I would say to this day, it's the highlight 
probably of my career, you know, when you just have a group of people who, I mean, Stephanie and Leah, you have it now where you just like, you just know each other. There's trust. Everyone's so smart and you're just running for the same end game. And you just like, you know, you go for drinks after, but then you come to work and you just, you work hard. That was for me, those, um, you know, I was there for nine years, but those early, those first five for sure, just to build that up. Because I mean, at the end of the day, we were trying to, you know, it was talking about, um, the role and the place of, of girls and women and just, you know, what that looks like in Canada, but most, you know, importantly around the world. And, you know, there's not gender equality in any country in the world, you know, to this day. So there's a lot of work to, to do. And that was sort of early days getting the Canadian public engaged and, you know, on that topic. And it's hard because I think when you think of international development in these countries around the world, you know, people, we want to focus on our backyard and we want to, you know, figure out, you know, what's, what's happening here at home. But I think then it was really about bringing this global lens to gender disparity and um, having some really awesome conversations with people around the world. And I got to do that traveling and hearing girls and women talk about, you know, like I can do anything. I just need to be given the chance and, you know, and looking at those systemic pieces as it relates to just education and, you know, food security and all of those things that, you know, get in the way for people in other countries um, to really just realize their rights. On that note, you've also sort of along that note, I should say, is, uh, you know, you're heading up this diversity, equity and inclusion effort and um, the world feels like it's improving. Again, maybe this is mail token, token mail again, but the world feels like it's improving. Um, but I'm sure it still has miles to go in, in that department, in your opinion. Yeah, I think um, I think if I we even just the past again, so much happened in the past 18 months. And I think, you know, for me personally, um, I think there was a moment like everyone around the world, you know, with George Floyd's murder. I remember coming back and thinking, like, what do we do at work? Like, what does this mean? I think. I think part of the heaviness, frankly, for me, even the past year and a half, um, my father's black and I don't, I didn't often, people didn't know that or I didn't talk about it because I mean, and I, people wouldn't know, but I think there was a lot of heaviness there that I had to um, look, dig into in terms of guilt and where was I complicit and I didn't understand my dad's reality and what have I done and through all these feelings and then thinking like, what are we as an organization? How are we talking about this? So from there, you know, I remember going to this meeting and being very nervous and I was like, well, what are we going to do about this? And I think nobody knew. I didn't know either, but it was like, we kind of have to do something. And I think this is, this was the beauty in, again, me being able to have the freedom to bring myself and my values and my view to this role um, in terms of you know, just feeling engaged and having the permission to do that. It was like, okay, well, what do you think we should do? Let's do it. Like the openness to just, we all need to learn. We need to figure out what this looks like. What are, what are our hiring practices? Like, are we engaging people? You know, like, are we looking for different points of view? Um, people with different experiences, you know, this is, you know, this isn't just about race. This is the whole spectrum of diversity. Like what, what, who do we want to bring in? And you know, it's kind of interesting that, you know, the CEO did that with me two years before and just took a leap of faith. Um, 
And so now it's really exciting because I get to figure out with all the brilliant people inside H&K and there's so many passionate, smart people who want to bring this work forward. Um, and, you know, we're putting a stake in the ground. We want to do better. And, but it's hard. And I think this is where my patience gets tested for sure. <laughs> Wanting to just, mm-hmm. yeah. it's hard. It's a long game. Um, but I think that just goes back to uh, this this business stuff is really just about humanity, right? And like people, this is like listening to people, caring about people, um, taking care of people. And uh, we have a lot of work to do. Well, Christy, I think uh, by all standards, you're successful in my books. So uh, (laughs) absolutely. You know, just hearing you, hearing you, you, you talk about so many of these pieces. I mean, it's, super impressive. I mean, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say how proud I am of you and, you know, how far you've come since we first met. Right. Um, and so, wow, you know, and, and we're so honored to have you here as our first guest. And, uh, I think we've just scratched the surface of so many important topics. Um, and, uh, thank you. I think it's probably, yeah. Thank you. Who knew that we'd go from sharing hotel rooms across the country to, you know, being here. Talking about about real issues. Talking into big microphones. Exactly. Now we can't let you go, Christy, without uh, what's now become a tradition in our in our three episode (laughs) history. And that is a a bit of a lightning round here. Some questions that uh, you can spend as much or as little time on as you want. But just rapid fire, get to know Christy questions. Are you all set? Are you game for starters? I'm game. Yes. Yes. All right. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Talk or text preference? Text, unless we're talking about something important. I hate small talk. So like, I just, it makes me itchy, which has not helped in my career for sure. I think so. I prefer to text unless... Like Leah and I, we would book, you know, we don't talk often, but you know, every few months we sit down and it's like, how are the kids? How's, how's, how's work? And then it's like, what were you feeling? Do you remember this moment? Right to the juice, like right to the meat. Right? Like, so like, that's true. So if I'm that's that, true. we can unpack the real stuff, then I, then I will call, but otherwise text. One of my business partners, he'll sometimes text because he's the same way as you. He doesn't like the small talk or anything, and, and, but he, got, he does the bare minimum. Just a little letter K, small case K. When I, I'm, I'll give him a long text and he gives me K. That drives me crazy. Is there a text sin that really bugs you? So I can be paralyzed by text too because I would not do the K. If someone took the time to give me the details, then I would rather take like six days to respond thoughtfully again than being like, sounds great, all good here. Like I would not do that. So I would like pause and do the long note back, but then sometimes that just adds to the to-do list. And like, what is the, I just heard something recently that like everyone's to-do list is like 35 hours over like mm-hmm. target or like, <laughs> so, so I'm, again, I probably complicate things. By the way, my daughter just told me the other day that it's it's bad form to punctuate with a period at the end of oh. your text. Who knew? I had no idea that was a, a big sin. Man, I'm no sinning idea. all over the um, place. You're a real life hero. <laughs> yeah, see? See? The young people Maybe know. Are. Honestly, the young people, they know everything. So every company, every board, every 
like you need to talk to the young people because I feel like they. I hate. I'm asking my ten year old, "What does this mean?" I, 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 yes. I had somebody said PPU. <laughs> I'm like, "What does that mean?" Pending pickup, in case you guys need oh, to know. Wow, you know that I one? did not know that one. See, wow, yeah. there you go. Wow. Yeah. I'm learning. See, so look much at you. Today. Steve's writing that down. So much, so much <laughs> education. <laughs> okay, these yeah. aren't lightning round. We got to get these <laughs> in lightning form. Quick, quick, quick. Okay, um, so who is your real life hero? Um, not me. Can't see me. <laughs> I have a handful of girlfriends who inspire me. So. I, Leah's not letting me put her in that camp, but I would say I have a handful of girlfriends who have just overcome a lot and um, are real. And yes. In review of the life of Christy Payne, what has been your best age? Um, this isn't lightning. Let's see. The 20s were really fun. I feel like between... 20 and 30, I saw a lot of parts of the world. So traveling were really fun. But I actually think um, right now is better because of just my awareness and really calibrating what's important. So the perspective on life is just totally different. So if I could take like my perspective now and throw it back to my 20s and going through Thailand and Nicaragua and Croatia, that's what I would do. I got you down as in your bio as 50 countries. Yeah. You've, you've traveled to 50 wow. countries. Yes. Really? Oh, wow. Favorite one, favorite holiday. Croatia, uh, Nepal, Zimbabwe. Yeah. There's stories that I want to, uh, there's follow-up questions to all of those, <laughs> but we're in the lightning round for goodness, Steve. What historical figure do you most identify with? Um, my gram um may uh, yeah my great-grandmother i was very i have a young family so i have a great-grandmother may who um lived a life who like grew up on a caboose and had like a lot of siblings and was one of the first black families to be here in canada and just survived a lot so um she she's there and her, her my oldest daughter has her middle name so may that's a good pick. Like a caboose converted to a house? Is that what? It- well, just there is like an abandoned caboose. So they had to wow. live there for a while. We actually drove through on the Olympics, Lee. I don't know if you remember. I was like, hey, we're in Maidstone and I need to get out. My grandma's here. And <laughs> that whole time was a blur. <laughs> it was, it was like one week, right? Even though <laughs> yes. it was a whole year of our life. Yeah. <laughs> the last book you read. Okay. This is a, this is a thing. I, so... One of my, I have a really, I'm not good at quitting. And that cross cuts into all aspects of my life. And it also crosses into books I read. So I, um, I just keep picking up new books. So right now, um, actually I've got like, so right now I've got Seven Fallen Feathers by Tanya Talaga right here. And I'm reading The Education of an Idealist by Samantha Power. So she was the U.S. ambassador to Obama. Um, I've also got Adam Grant's Think Again. So I've got three on the go. And these are only the oh ones. Oh my God. Talk about women here. making other women feel bad. Like, yeah. I feel total shame me. right now. Spare <laughs> me. Oh my God. They're like, I'm like a quarter of the way through. I, so, I read yeah, Eating Well magazine this morning. So <laughs> I just finished last month's People. So. Yeah. There you go. It sounds like we found the really the true biggest threat to Christy Payne's work life balance. It's the, uh, the addiction to, to book reading. That's uh, 
There's worse addictions than that. Uh, if you had more spare time, how would you use it? More books? Um, I think I would like to just garden more and garden or um, paint. All right. And closing it out, what's something most people don't know about you? I'm a textbook introvert. Like I read that book quiet and there was like the 20 things and I checked all 20 of them. So I'm a good. That's a whole other podcast that you're, you're in this role (laughs) as an introvert and we've just listened to you talk so eloquently through this entire thing. Like it's natural and just flows just naturally, you know, out of you and, and you're a textbook introvert fascinating i'm sweating i will be i will have to like sleep after this she does appreciate it wow (laughs) she has a mean dance routine as well as i can attest oh (laughs) thank you actually let's put that ahead (laughs) i'm that person at the the company parties who takes over and it's borderline inappropriate with my dance moves so yeah own it own it (laughs) i'm I'm picturing elaine from seinfeld all of a sudden With a little more rhythm, okay, Steve? (laughs) Good, good. Okay. Uh, Christy, thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, we really appreciate, uh, yeah, uh, spending some time with you today. Thanks for having me. It was so nice. I really, really appreciate it, and it's really nice to meet all of you. And Leah, let's have a deeper connect sometime soon. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it, Christy. Thank you, Christy. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right, that'll do it for this week's show. We hope you'll join us next time and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Once again, thank you to Christy Payne for joining us. Don't forget you can learn more about Leah and Stephanie and their company at nirad.ca. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll talk to you next time.